Renegade coaches in the building. Yo, we do live and direct. I think I stole your line with that, yo. Yeah, you did, man. You sound like you're trying to beat me, man. What the problem is, oh, man? Okay. I just do it better than you. That's all. I saw. I figured I would I would introduce it like that. That's how we do, man. That's what happens when we get these <laughs> uh, failed attempts at being lawyers. Anyway. Oh! <laughs> Renegade speaking coaches as a criminal, in the building. Speaking as a criminal defendant, you would know, of course. <laughs> uh, Wow, you did get me off a case once. <laughs> yeah, I still didn't get my money though. Where's my money? I'm waiting for that. Well, it wasn't really my case, so it don't really matter. So you know what I'm saying? You got me off something that I wasn't on. But anyway, <laughs> hope everybody's good out there in listener land. We looking at show episode uh, 64. Ooh, Somewhere around there. It's been a whole lot. That's whole right. Lot working with these weirdos over here. Speaking um, of weirdos, brother ear doctor, how you doing? The ear doctor's in the building. <laughs> that was a nice uh, one, nice one. Yeah, whatever. We're real good, you know, in the uh, playback shelter studios, and we okay. over there uh, getting it in. But uh, nice shirt. <laughs> nice hat. Stuff on his, uh, wow. <laughs> I see wow. you had to dig deep for your red, black, and green. That's your, I think it's your sister's, but that's all right. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> First time I've seen them, you know, with some Pan-African liberation colors, you know what I'm saying? Usually, wow. You know, Awfully damn American up in this one. Mm -hmm. But anyway, wow. you know. He's a big Jay-Z supporter, you know. That's what it is. Hey, hey speaking of, I got some Jay-Z news for later. Well, uh -oh. we don't, we don't want to hear it. <laughs> but anyway, um, again, you listen to Renegade Culture. And our, our next guest, uh, we have a special guest tonight. Mm -hmm. Along with all the things that's going on, we wanted to uh, reach out to a, a legend. And yeah. I think legend is, is probably kind of, uh, short you know what i'm saying because of the fact that you're talking about one of the godfathers of hip-hop that's right i said that because of the fact that you know y'all don't want to hear that you know what i'm saying when you talk about godfathers of hip-hop you talk about certain folks who who have earned their stripes in in hip-hop but before them there were already folks putting it down it was folks like uh gil scott heron you know what i'm saying who was uh mashing them up back in the days there was one of the original rappers, H. Rap Brown, uh, now known mm -hmm. as Imam Jamil Alameen. You had the Oscar Brown Juniors, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Of course you had Sonia Sanchez and Nicki and, and all these great folks who put it down. But if you talking about hip hop, you talking about poetry, if you talking about black culture in America, mm -hmm. you're not mentioning folks like Amiri Baraka and you're not mentioning uh, our next guest, mm -hmm. clearly you think that you think it. You know what I'm saying? So um, the next, the guests we have tonight, uh, man, they, they influence some of everybody. I'm talking about from Curtis Mayfield to, uh, to folks like James Brown. The yeah. influence was felt. Yeah. Mainstream cats, like later yes. on, like the, the, the Puffs, the Biggies, uh, oh, yeah. people who you never even thought they would influence. Obviously, the conscious rappers of their day. Yeah. All those folks. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, they, they, they put in a lot of work for over the last past 50 years. Um, in fact, they were founded in 1968. And it's crazy because when I fir first heard their music, I think the first joint that most of us in our generation heard was Niggas Are Scared of Revolution. Mm -hmm. And I'd be damned if that didn't hit, hit it on the nail, especially with some of y'all groups. I ain't gonna name no organizational names tonight mm -hmm. because I'm trying to be politically correct. For change, uh, me. All right. Uh, but, but half you bums don't know nothing about no damn revolution. But anyway, 
Can you um, introduce the guests and say the name oh, and, and the guests? Yes, yes, I, I know. I mean, you ain't <laughs> say the name yet. Hey, look here, man. I ain't smoked my spliff, so I'm a little too sober to be doing <laughs> oh, this. Jesus but I'm just saying, our next guest from the legendary Last Poets, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, we welcome Abio Doom Oyawole. Oh! <laughs> well, thank you very much for welcoming me. And you know, yeah, I wish I was there with you, brothers, because it sounds like you're all having a lot of fun. And and uh, and at this particular time, we need to have something light. We need to uh, laugh a bit. We need to try to, you know, keep ourselves feeling human because this virus and 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 this orange clown that we've got in the White House yes. have really wreaked havoc on the world right now. This is. This is a very dark period for a lot of people. But, uh, you know, I have some friends of mine who send me jokes every other day because they know that laughter is a healing element. We need to laugh. We need to just recognize that whatever comes before us, we can overcome it. We can, mm -hmm. we have, we have proven over the years, how, how many years has it been? 500, 600 years that yeah. whatever you throw in our path, we can, we can fly above it. Because we've been given that kind of that kind of power, that kind of resilience, and we have to keep the faith. So it's a pleasure to hear you, brother, sounding very, very black and very much alive. Yes, brother, sir. I was going to say, never has it been more true that the white man has a god complex than it is today. So. Oh yeah, I mean, but yeah. you see, and that, and that's always been the case with the fact that uh, uh, he, you know, you will have a complex if you're not a, if you're not a god. If you're a god, then you don't have a complex. It's just mm -hmm. you just perform the works of a god. This guy's mm -hmm. always known that he's he is exactly what God is spelled backwards. He's a dog. I mean, and and and, and that's one reason why he even says the dog is a man's best friend. He learned from the dog. I mean, one of the most startling things that I recall was doing a a a, a gig in Rome that the last poets had about ten, twelve years ago, and we just decided on a Thursday to go to the Vatican. And just, you know, check it out. Since we were over there in Rome, we had seen the Colosseum. We saw all the sites. My fact, Rome itself, the city is like one big museum. Everywhere you turn, you see these outrageous statues. And the statues are moving. I couldn't sleep in Rome for some reason. I guess it was just too much because I'd be up at 2 in the morning walking around. And the moonlight shining on those statues made the statues look like they were alive, man. This, this shit was scaring the hell out of me. But I was walking around. But on Thursday, when the Pope comes out to greet the people, we decided to go to the to the Vatican and check it out and so forth. And on the way, when we were leaving up on the wall, that is the place where they take the, the uh, bishops to try to turn them into cardinals so they can be in line to be a pope, possibly. There was this picture of Aremus and Romulus uh, sucking the tit of a dog, of a jackal. And uh, Umar pointed out, I said, look at that, dude, look at that. And I said, oh, my God. I mean, this I, who in the world could imagine something like that too? Human children sucking the tit of a four-legged dog or animal, or like I mean, from the wolf family, but that's what—that's a part of these people's culture. That's that's who they are, and consequently, they have—they have given the world a case of rabies that I don't know if we'll ever get over. Wow! Wow! wow. Yo, and that's yeah. just the beginning, y'all. So yeah, yeah. We, we just we get started. Get deep. I know. Yeah. That that's yeah. just the intro. You ain't, you ain't right. even heard nothing yet. Anyway, <laughs> we we gonna we gonna uh go to this quick little flash. Mm -hmm. We're gonna come right back at you. We have a Bill Doom or Yawole in the building. Um one of uh one of the underrated 
underrated and underestimated brothers in the building is group Last Poets. We'll be right back at you in a minute. Renegade Coach. Niggas, niggas are scared of niggas. revolution. Niggas. But niggas, niggas shouldn't be scared of revolution. Niggas. All niggas. Because niggas. revolution is nothing but change. And all niggas do all is change. Niggas, niggas come in for murder and change into pimping clothes. Into streets to make niggas. some quick change. Niggas, niggas change their hair niggas. from black all to red niggas. to blonde. Niggas. And hope black hair that looks for change. Niggas, niggas kill other niggas, niggas. just because one niggas. didn't receive the correct change. Niggas, niggas change from men to women, from women to men. <laughs> word, word, yeah, 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 man. All right, um, renegade culture. You know that 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 poem is so relevant even today. I was just thinking of the line when he says, "The niggas change their hair from red to yellow to brown," and we got so many. We got people walk around with with fusion hair and blue hair and green hair. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is amazing. You know, I, I was telling some students a while back. Every poet has a little bit of profit in them because. We're going to always, we're always trying to uh, share the truth. And the truth is something that doesn't go away. It, it continues. And then you see the same truth crop up in every generation. And you say, wow, isn't, look at that. Those guys, are, those guys are prophetic. No, we're just dealing with the truth as it is now. But what's happening now is going to happen again. And I probably heard the poetry probably 15, 20 years. And it, it, I, I felt like I was already getting politicized. And when I heard The Last Poets, I mean, it was nothing that, that either before or after, uh, let's say on the music or poetry genre, that um, st- spoke more clearly about the politics of the day for Black folks. And I, I, just, uh, I just think what y'all gave to, um, to us as a people, to a liberation movement, still to this day is unmatched in terms of the, the lyrics and the content. So I just want to say that to start out. Well, I, I appreciate that, brother, because our major mission back, back in 1968 when the group got started, we weren't waging war against these, the, the, this white society necessarily. Or we, we were waging war against our own communities in terms of why can't we be unified? Why can't we be together? Why can't we love each other? We had a, we have issues, and those issues still exist today. We we that's why you find if you check out our earlier pieces, we had a poem about every kind of nigger you could imagine. We said niggers are scared of revolution. We said die nigger. We say run nigger. We said niggers wake up niggers. We all through. We had all kinds of niggers. I mean we I mean we we and and tried to make it clear that we don't need niggers for the nation that we're trying to build. We need people who are gonna step up and be black because black is a solidarity of our existence and we need that we need some responsibility we don't need some people who are going to be shaky and shady we need folks who are really going to be truthful and be about the business of building a nation and and niggas were definitely holding us back but then flipping it to now many of the hip-hop artists yes they heard the last poets i mean africa mavada who heard said the only thing that they could really listen to back in 1970 was the last poets, and and we affected a lot of people. I'm very proud to to know that because you want to reach the folks you try to reach, and we did reach quite a few people. But many of our young hip hop artists decided to take nigga and make it a mantle and blow it up and make the nigga a special character. Now you got niggas all over the world. Everybody wants to be a nigga. Chinese people want to be niggas. Italians, everybody, because the nigga has become. Well, actually, what's happened is that the nigga has evolved. So the nigga went from being a, a character that we did not want in the community. Now the nigga represents being a rebel. 
It's like I'm not following any rules. I'm gonna do what I want to do. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna definitely be a thorn in your side. So the nigga's taking on a different persona, but that was the war that we waged against the community that we were in, that we were in at the time. Wow. So n- niggas revolved like evolved like roaches, huh? They've evolved absolutely, man. I mean, that's what happens. That's what. Even when I did that piece with Nas, I said niggas are like roaches. They're never gonna die, and so, and and they definitely evolved. There's no doubt. I mean, every you know everything goes through. I always tell people, even before we have an, a revolution, we got to have an evolution, because what we could do right now is revolt against the circus that Trump has produced, and we can revolt against a lot of things. But if we don't evolve, we'll recreate this very thing that we just. Promote, promote, we protested against. We will actually reproduce the same ills that we're suffering now. When when life should not be that kind of debacle behavior, we should have a whole system where everybody is receiving justice and healthcare and education and all the things that we need to have a successful life without all the stress involved. But the you society that we yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, brother. Inter- uh, you you mentioned like when rappers, uh, like you work with like folks like Nas, and also a lot of folks in the hip hop industry. You know, they they borrowed your, your tracks. They they used them for different ways. I remember, um, for me, one of the uh, I, I'm a I'm a huge Biggie fan, but when uh-huh. Biggie made uh, party uh, and bullshit over, yeah, right. I was like <laughs> I I couldn't listen to it. I really couldn't listen to it. I was like. Yo, he's just transformed something that was, you know, it, it, you know, I could be old now. It was, it was sacred in some ways. Right, right. It made right. it into this kind of, like you said, like this, this, this music that that wasn't any longer speaking of revolution or radical, radical change right. in our community. So how did how did you feel about sort of that balance of folks? Well, well, on one, on one hand, it was cool, but on the other hand, it was like somebody was taking your stuff and doing some other stuff with it. I, I, I for when when I found out we were in Emola, Italy. When I found out that Biggie had used uh, "Party and Bullshit," I mean, I was—we were on tour, and um, and I get up early, no matter where I'm at in the world. I just wake up very early, and if I'm in another country, I like to walk around because that's the best way to learn the lay of the land. Just walk around and kind of rub shoulders with the people. So, Baba Tunde, my drummer, and I—we always seem to get up early and meet each other in the lobby. So we were up very early one one day, and we were walking around and I see these white folks with the cause the white people over in Europe, many of them still ride bicycles. They stay in pretty good shape and a lot of everybody has a bike. They have like bike uh, bicycle parking lots and stuff like that. So all these old white people had uh the bicycles with the basket in the front and many of them had flowers in the basket and they were taking these flowers up to this magazine stand. And if you've ever been to Europe, all the magazine stands are are pristine. They're, I mean, they're, they're 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 just immaculate. They're nice. They they keep them very. Everything is organized. It's not just papers and magazines strung together. Everything is done very symmetrically. So um, I'm I'm telling Baba. I said, Baba, we're gonna go down here to this magazine stand and see that these folks are putting flowers next to this, this picture. And I couldn't see from the distance what the picture was. So we walked on down toward the magazine stand. And the closer I got to the picture, it looked like a dark-skinned person. I said, this is weird. I said, we're in a real white town and they're putting flowers next to a picture. It looks like it's a black person. We get up on the picture and the picture is Biggie Smalls. I said, you got to be kidding. What in the world would these old white people be putting flowers next to Biggie Smalls' picture for? That makes no sense. And so I asked Mauricio, who was the promoter that brought us over there. I said, why in the world are these white folks 
giving flowers to Biggie Smalls. Said, well, you know, he got killed, and everybody knows it. And Biggie was Biggie was was dealing with with uh, mafioso. I said mafioso. He was in the mafia. Mm-hmm. Said the deal was Biggie Smalls named his record label Junior Mafia, mm-hmm. and uh, Italian people identified with that because the mafia <laughs> was like the Robin Hood for the mm-hmm. people over there in Italy. They were the the, the buffer between the government and the folks. They would take they would take care of the people as opposed to the gangsters that you know the FBI claimed over here. They were looking out for the people over there. So the folks identified. And then Mauricio said something else to me that was quite interesting. That of course our kids in our school system doesn't don't know. He said, "Doesn't don't Biggie look like uh, Hannibal to you a little bit?" I said, mm. <laughs> "Not not from the movies I've seen, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> Hannibal's like Marlon Brando." I thought based on the movies. I mean, the bottom line is that we, there was a reverence and 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 a whole vibe uh, mm-hmm. for Biggie. So when I saw that. I, I I was blown away to be honest, yeah. and plus you know I know Biggie's a great storyteller. He's from Brooklyn, and I and I knew he had sampled my stuff, but I said ah, I'm not gonna worry about it. Whatever he saw something, but I didn't like the way he used it because he totally he abused it more than used it, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but I I I, did, I I got upset to some extent, yeah. but it wasn't so much that I was gonna take him to court or go through some changes. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. then as time went on, it was used over and over again. But then this chick named Rita Orr, some new rapper that Jay-Z had uh, produced, and and my sense is somebody got you again. And I listened to what she did. She said party and bullshit about 29 times, and whatever lyrics she wrote, she had maybe 22 times. And I'm saying, this is crazy. She's just going bananas with the, with this line. Like, like this, is, this is the only thing that's making her famous. I said, this mm-hmm. is stupid. So I said, no, no, no. I'm suing this bitch. This is this has got to stop right now. <laughs> I know. No, this, is, this, this, this has got. I got it. No, this is crazy because she's making cash money and yeah. and like and, and just using this thing like it's okay and and no, no, this is wrong. So have and, you um, had to do that throughout the years? Have you had to over decades? Have you been suing hip hop well, artists? I, I have. I have a gangster, black gangster lawyer from Detroit who has gotten <laughs> me some money from from different situations, and I'm very proud. Uh, he's an excellent lawyer. His name is Gregory J. Reed, and he is excellent in terms of being an entertainment lawyer and, and taking care of business. I found out, my brothers, that I didn't even have my name. There was another person's name next to my name on the copyright of all of my material. Like, mm-hmm. like, like I sat down with some Jew guy and wrote the poems I wrote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, come on. Well, they had is, to. Go ahead. No, I was going to say this is not. This is this is something that is actually seen as, as, as par for the course. I mean, uh, Billy Holiday went through the same thing. Frankie Lyman, a lot of people went through the same thing that because we weren't dealing with the business. We were dealing with the passion of whatever the art form was that we were involved in. And I was young. I was 19 years old. I mean, what did I know about the business? I'm trying to get a message across. I'm trying to be a revolutionary. I'm using words like bullets, man. I'm, I'm trying to shoot you down. I'm not trying to uh, get down with the business of the whole business aspect of writing poetry and selling it is about. I'm really trying to motivate folks to have a revolution, at least a cultural one. And so, you know, I, I, I didn't know the business. And consequently, when you're recording, those folks that you're recording with, they know the business and they know that stuff has longevity. They know that they can capitalize on something you've done now for as long as they live. And I was unaware. My lawyer, my lawyer out of Detroit, 
He, he got he got all of my copyrights. I have I own every single thing I've ever done, and I'm grateful well, for him for that. It had to be refreshing to work with Common because I'm sure he was pretty much knowing the, your history and was just like coming to studio and do you. Is that how how did that yeah. that go? Working with Common was very nice because I mean, Common is a Pisces like myself, and he's a good brother. Uh, and um, I really enjoyed the time that we worked together. Matter of fact, um, when he called me because his father was a big fan and he called me and he actually said, you know, I'm doing this piece called the corner and I'd like for you guys to be on my, on, on my CD. So I said, yeah, so let me hear what you did because, you know, when you say the corner, it could go a bunch of different places, you know, it could, right, you could right. just wallow in the street or, <clears throat> but I turned the corner into like a, a horizontal pyramid, uh, uh, or should not say horizontal or vertical, but no horizontal, really. That's what I did. I turned the corner into a, a special place that we would meet and, 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 I tried to make it as positive as possible. I didn't want to get into the to the to the to the nigger aspects. I tried to give it some give it a little bit more status. And and um and we did it and it was a nice it was a very interesting moment in time coming and I we got very we became friends. Uh, I even had a chance to um spend some time with uh who's a brother married to the Kardashians, uh West Kanye West because he was the one that produced it. And uh, and and matter of fact, uh, that was funny because we stayed at the W Hotel in in uh, Chicago and we did this video, and and uh, the W is a very nice hotel. It's it's like mm-hmm. one of the warmest hotels I guess in the country in terms of the way they invite you in. You even before you get up to your room, you know you you have drinks and everything is just a lounging situation. And uh, Kanye wanted to take me someplace remote in the back of the W to show me this on his laptop something special, you know, and I'm like, oh, wow, this is deep, you know, I mean, just like a super secret, you know, he was, <laughs> and so he, he found, found a remote place, and he pulled out the laptop, and he, and he sat there and turned it on, and it was a laptop of um, John Legend singing uh, Ordinary People, I can't stand that song, and it was all, in, and if you remember the video, it was all in black and white, mm-hmm. and I said, Ordinary people don't know which way to go, and I and I'm, I'm like saying, "Damn, that's a fucked up song." I mean, so 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 um so then so then uh, Kanye looks at me after we watch a little bit of it, and he says, "What do you think of when you see something in black and white?" And that's when I realized why he wanted me to check this out because I'm old enough to understand black and white. When I was a little kid, I probably had no color TV. I had a black and white TV. Yes, that's true. Yeah, I mean, you were born in the late 50s, I mean, early 50s or late 40s, you're going to see a color TV. You're not going to see a color TV. I saw, so I said, well, if I see something in black and white, Kanye, I take it seriously. It looks like it's almost like a newsreel to me. It's a very serious situation. He said, oh, that's good. That's good. All I could do, brothers, is be honest and say, oh, Miss West, Dr. West, you left too soon. Your son is gone. I mean, his, he should be able to figure that out for himself. But he wanted, he wanted, wanted that confirmation so i said that right. but to be but for the record i don't like the song i don't <laughs> I, 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 I don't i think for us to say and to pass out that kind of message and people think that's right. cute right. you know we're or, or, we're ordinary people first of all we've never been ordinary right. even in the worst situation we've been in we've been ordinary right. we, we are extraordinary there is no two ways about it and don't know which way to go that's not a good look you right. better know which way you're going. Right. I don't care what's up. I mean, 
So, I mean, and 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 to think that could be romanticized and it'd be yeah. a top top hit. All that? Yeah. No, I'm sorry. And then, yeah. and then I have a dear friend in Chicago, Jay Ivey, who's a good brother, who I think he did some earlier stuff with Kanye. Uh, you know, he's the one that I found out later on that he's the one that gave John Legend his name, but that's not even his real name. I don't know what his real name is. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, I was going to say, though, when we come back, though, we, we go about to take a break because we want to get into what you, uh, you already got into it, obviously. Like, what do you think about today's hip-hop artists and, and the road that folks are going where, you know, the, 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 the politics is no longer front and center in our art forms. Um, and it's all about the, again, it's not to get over, to use it a lot, but the party and the bullshit. But we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about that on Renegade Culture in a minute. Yeah. Okay. You are listening to Renegade Culture Podcast with Kalanji, Kamal, and the Air Doctor. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. Renegade Coaches in the building. And for the record, I hate that fucking song too. I'm glad he said it. it <laughs> <laughs> I ain't, they always talk about I'm a hater. You know what I mean? So let the OG say for the record. You know what I'm saying? That was you know the You know he's gonna listen to the lyrics. Everybody else just loved the the, the, the melody. And everything, mm-hmm. your melodies, like man. man I always thought dude was a weirdo out the gate, man. And oh, then Sexiest man alive, shit. I'm like, what the hell's going on, man? So I don't know who, 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 who was the sexiest man alive. Man, last, legend. Last year, I mean, they 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 Time Magazine said he was no people. Magazine. People Magazine, yeah. yeah. John Legend. That's John Legend. Magazine. I, I think that was everybody's reaction. John. Yeah. John. Who? <laughs> legend. Who? Come on. Come he on. It's all over me. Uh, uh, I mean, come on. That's silly. That that's absolutely silly. <laughs> Every everybody knows. John Legend ain't got a sexy bone in his body. I mean, that's not, he doesn't, he doesn't represent sexuality or sensuality. Matter of fact, I think, I think he is really, he is the hallmark of his song. He's an ordinary guy. I mean, there's nothing, yeah. I mean, there's nothing special about John Legend. I, I wonder how he even gets all the play that he gets. We've heard singers, we know singers, we know crooners, we know people who can rock. Right. John Legend ain't one of them people. No. Well, Kalaji oh, said he's the closest thing to Stevie Wonder, so I was like, I heard oh, Kalaji who, say that, too. Who, yeah. Who said Kalaji that? Did say that. Hey, 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 I feel doomed. Clearly, these brothers are smoking crack, and I don't know why they smoke crack <laughs> yeah, on yeah, Renegade Coaching. No, they hide no, in the light smoke, bill. No, they, they, listen, they smoking something that's gone beyond crack. They got some <laughs> kind of, they got I think it's called ass. New, they got some new op- opioid that came out of Afghanistan that they ain't put on the market yet. That's what they are. Yeah. So, so Bobby, you're doing it. Who, who is it today that you think is either repping the culture, or, or who do you think is totally destroying well, he, the culture? Well, but you know, you got Kendrick Lamar. He's trying to say something. Mm-hmm. Uh, Drake is very domestic. You know, he talks about his personal relationships and his ladies and stuff, <laughs> and that's cool. I mean, but, but the only person that I've heard say anything that's kind of speaking to the public that we need to hear, Kendrick Lamar. He said a few things. J. Cole, uh, this sister, her, uh, she's, she's good. Um, and and I'm I'm saying all these names based on the fact that I have a grandson who's outrageous. This boy is tremendous. His singing is crazy, and and uh, and he keeps me when I visit him. When I visit my son who lives in Texas in Fort Worth, my grandson Kari is the one that always drives me back to the airport. 
and one of the ways he said, hey, hey, hey uh, Papa, I got to educate you as to what's happening now. So he has all his latest rappers ready to give me an education because I want to know. I want to learn as much as I can. You know, people always give me credit for being one of the, uh, the progenitors of hip-hop and all that stuff. At least I want to follow up because I think, to be honest with you, Hip-hop is a Rolls Royce of an invention. There is no two ways about it. You have to think that people will actually listen to some folks running off at the mouth. They're not mm-hmm. singing. They're doing it in rhyme. And just so many things we can say that could be uplifting and historical and, and necessary for our development as a people. But we choose to just do bubblegum and bullshit. And it really breaks my heart because... We're wasting paper, we're wasting time, we're wasting airspace, and and hip-hop could be a real guide to something that is better than what we're dealing with, and and yet we're clowning it, we're clowning one of our genius efforts, because we have so much genius until, I mean, I always tell folks, we are the children of bad. There is no culture on the planet Earth that has taken a perfectly negative word and made it perfectly positive, but us. (laughs) Who in the world has... Who, who has the strength to do that? I, right. I say bad, I mean absolutely wonderful. If I say dope, that means good. If I say stupid, <laughs> that's all right. I mean, these words are negative words. Nobody has done that. That is the genius of black folks. Even the word nigger, we done made it positive. Oh, I love that nigger. And, you know, and, and the tonality that we give to these words gives it a whole nother feeling, a whole nother vibration, and people accept it. Somebody can come on stage and say, what's up with my motherfuckers? You can actually say that and people will applaud you? That is crazy. Hey, well, I'm not your me, motherfucker. Let me ask you this. Did you get involved in that? What did you feel about some of the... It's not as big today, but you know, for a while there was a huge controversy around. So much so that people don't, you know, people don't even say nigga no more. They won't say the N-word. Yeah, like, so did you, what is your thinking about that? Do you think, uh, like, obviously I, 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 may, I may understand what you're thinking maybe, but... Like, expand a little bit on where you fall no, no, on no. that I'm line. Not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't believe in faking the funk, man. Don't be telling me the N-word. That's fake. That's fake. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I cannot be fake. I'm going to be realistic. Let me give you an example. In 1995, the New York Times paid for me to go to California to do this extensive article. You can probably put it up on your gadget with Ice Cube. This is before Ice Cube went big time in Hollywood with all of the movies and stuff, okay? It just... <laughs> He had just done um, uh, an album, but I think the, the the hit track on there was something about Ghetto Bird. Because out there in California, they got these helicopters that flashing on the people at night, and they got this big spotlight. They just spotlight right into their living rooms and stuff. It's a very invasive situation. So Sheila Rule was one of the senior editors of Time, of New York Times um, newspaper. And on Sunday, they have the magazine section, and they have they have stories. And so we were out there to do a story. And it was a generational story because I'm from another generation away, of course, from Cube. But I didn't realize until later on that I wasn't doing anything the right way that they had intended because I'm a teacher and, and I'm a straight up brother who's got some morals and I speak of the morals that I have and the ethics and all that kind of stuff. They were expecting me to go out there to spank Cube. I was supposed to pull out a paddle with holes in it and put him across my knee and spank his butt because he's calling sisters bitches and he's using the word nigger. And we sat around and we slapped five because say, yeah, but sister act like a bitch, what else you gonna call for a bitch? So we laughed. <laughs> we laughed and, and we slapped five. We had fish and chips and we had a good time. And Sheila says to me, Oh, I don't think my, my boss is gonna really like this this story. I said, What do you mean? Well, you know, you in Cuba I said, Oh, I get it, I get it. I'm supposed to be angry with him because he's not using the appropriate language. I said, But we got I said, No, I said, Cuba's my son. 
I'm a, well, he's he's saying stuff that I've said. Maybe he's using it in different places that I wouldn't use it. But I understand where he's coming from, and there's no reason to be spanking him. That's out of order. Mm-hmm. So, so, so she was totally perplexed because she didn't know how she's going to do this. I said, "Well, they were alloc- allocated the space. I hope they don't renege. So, if you get the hold of that magazine, 1995, uh, um, uh, the, the Sunday Easter Sunday version of the New York Times, and you'll see it's, it's my profile of me and Cube on the front of the magazine, mm-hmm. and it's called the intergenerational inter, it's generation. They call it Generation Rap, and." Um, and they went on and published the story, but but like no, the language. I'm I, I love to see. I want us to use whatever our gifts are. I don't care what kind of music we're singing. I want us to use it to uplift the folks. Of course, we're gonna have some stuff that's just gonna be for entertainment purposes, and we want to laugh and we want to enjoy and we want to clown ourselves from time to time. I got that, but when you when that's basically all you've got. And we're in a dire situation. We're in a critical point of our lives. And we got people who are running off of the mouth. I give KRS a lot of credit because he has constantly said some stuff that has tried to lift up the folks and even give you mm-hmm. some history. Uh, Chuck D is another person who has tried to say some things that I appreciate very much. I love Rakim because Rakim always had class. He didn't He didn't have to courage. I don't even know if he used the word nigger. I mean, and and he was a poet. I mean, come on, you say I came to do. I said it before. Never let the mic magnetize me. I mean, inviting me, inviting me, inviting me, inviting me to rhyme. I mean, that's personification. That's poetry on a whole other level. Mm-hmm. He is a poet, and you appreciate that. And 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 when we have the ability to use words in a way to convince people of certain things, we should try to use them wisely. But a lot of times, of course, the producers want to see stuff that's just going to make you laugh and shake your butt and not think. And 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 hip-hop could be a beautiful, as I said earlier, it is a Rolls Royce of an invention, mm-hmm. but you got to be careful as to who's driving a damn car. That's real, that's real. Speaking of that, shout out uh, Rising Power, Andre Harrell, who transitioned. Um, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Transitioned this past week. Um, another pioneer. A lot of folks know him from you know, his work with Mary and, and putting Puff on. Um, many of us know him from Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde back in the day, uh, one of the earlier hip hop groups in the 80s. Um, and his work with Russell, uh, bringing that uptown sound, you know, later on. And also, um, you know, New York undercover, all that type stuff. Those are things that he was responsible for. So, you know, he, right. many of us know he lost his life at 59. Yes. Well, we know we need to recognize too that and that's the other thing that we have to understand. We we have been taught by midgets for a long time. And consequently, we have a midget understanding of what life and death is all about. Yes. So consequently, right now with this coronavirus, and they're constantly posting the numbers of how many people are dying, how many people are scheduled to die, and all of that. We know, black folks need to get it in their heads. We don't die. That's, that, is, that is totally out of the question. We simply move on into another dimension. The energy that we have, this energy ain't going no place. It's like the wind. Our this the the body that we are ha- actually in. This body that we have, this house that we're living in right now, this is temporary. It's gonna go away. But the essence of you, the substance of you, all that we remain. Andre Hero will be here forever because of the work he's done. The only thing that determines your immortality is your work. And if you don't do a damn thing, then you're dead already. You got to work. And if you don't work, then then you're dead. 
if you work and you do some work that touches other people and motivates and inspires other folks to do some work, then you'll live forever. Well, so on that same brother. note, we should recognize Sister Betty Wright, right? Yeah. yeah I think you guys was going to mention her. Yeah, her? Oh, Betty yeah. Wright. And also yeah. Little Richard. That's yeah. right. Yes, Not, yes. Little Richard, who was one, roll, of the, one of the kings of rock and roll, because they tried yes. to give that to Elvis Presley. Everybody knows that's fake. That's uh, right. Elvis Presley wasn't the king of nothing. He right. was a fake. King of Jack. He got a, most of most of the songs that were that he sang that became hits, besides of course Big Mama Thorn's song, You're Nothing But a Hound Dog. Right. Uh, but mm-hmm. other songs that he that he became famous with Love You Tender Lord, was written by Otis Blackmore, a black mm-hmm. a little brother in Brooklyn, New York. And and nobody ever even knew Brooklyn. that he was a musical colonizer. For real. And one yeah. thing I did hear about Little Richard, what he did said is he had to wear makeup and and dress the way he did just so he could perform in front of white people. What's y'all thoughts about Oh, yeah. That? It's about that androgynous thing, which, of course, was patterned by, of course, our boy Prince. Prince had that androgynous thing as well. You know, yeah. he got on heels and makeup and looking kind of girlish. But at the same time, these both of these guys, from what I understand, they like women. They didn't particularly care for men, right. but you know. Oh no, I think Little Richard was that. No, no, no. I don't think that's Little Richard. I don't think that's. I mean, I think it's a little bit of both for Little. I mean, he did his thing. He did his thing. I heard. But it might, it might have been. I'm not. I don't know him personally, so I can't really say. All I can tell you this is that the one thing that we do know, if we know anything at all about our history, from the moment that they got us on those boats. They were going out of their way to feminize us, and they and because the white man is threatened by a black man, our sure. presence alone is a threat to him. So if I, if I can make you more feminine, if I can make you act like a girl, I can deal with you, and I, I can feel I feel much more secure. But if you're going to be a man, I mean that's like pulling out your dick. I mean I can't compete with you, man. You got this long god of this rod of god, and I got this little <laughs> pee, peewee shooter. This ain't working, you know. So then, little Richard. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a, it's unfortunate. So they really have an issue. I have to look back at the earlier cartoon with, uh, I think, when it first had a black person involved with these little comedy guys called the Our Gang. Com- Our yeah, Gang. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and who were the black guys in there? Buckwheat? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, Stymie. Right? Stymie. Yeah. And, and, Farina? And, 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 no, and, and Farina. Now, mm-hmm. I thought Farina, and uh, a lot of people thought Farina was a girl. Farina is a boy. Wow. And Farina, and Farina, I don't know no sister that would name her son Farina. Nah, I never heard that's of not, that. That's, that's not a male name. And I don't know no sister down south that would put barrettes in her son's hair. Right. Girls right. wore barrettes. Brothers didn't wear barrettes. But right. they did that to Farina. That was an act to feminize us. They will go out of their way. And so sometimes brothers trying to get into that industry, trying to be accepted, will do some some terrible things to themselves as far as I'm concerned. Because if you let your man and you come out, that's too threatening. That's why you find a lot of sisters will get jobs before brothers because a sister is not nearly as much of a threat to the white man and so he thinks she isn't. And a sister can be vicious, but they don't realize that until they get on board sometimes. But yeah. they look harmless compared to us. The black man has always been a threat, a direct threat. And that's one reason why it took them so long to even put us in different sporting events because they were afraid that we were going to excel. So and on that, that note, of course, I'm sorry, yeah. I'm sorry to your brother. On that note, we need to, we need to take another quick break. We're going to come okay. back because we want to get more into your history, which you know yeah. I don't think we did enough. Right. Um, okay. Even about like how you got politicized, you started talking about some of your politics. 
And so we want to go maybe a little bit too into what you think about the politics today of some of the young activists. So we right. do that after we come back with Renegade Coach. Renegade All Coach, right. uh, yes. You are listening to Renegade Culture Podcast with Kalanji, Kamal, and the Interdoctor. What's happening, Renegade Coaches? Back at you. That's right. Coming we got Ear Doctor in the building. Yeah, yeah. Ear Doctor said he just got his little Richard tattoo. That's all right. My man, <laughs> my man Kamal's in the building. What up, Kamal? Yo, loving it, man. Loving the show. Loving your history. Abiyo doing. It's fantastic to be here with you. I yes, might try out. Bro. I don't know if the, if, they, if y'all got any tryouts for the last poets. Yeah, uh, uh, I am. Uh, uh, um, excuse me. What's the last flunkies. No, we right. They ain't good. Please, please do your tryout right here. <laughs> 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 nah, nah, we, we, we know we know how to do it. Bring say it in front of the whole group and uh, catch Umar when he's hungry. That's what you do. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> See, okay. that come out. Yeah, this last segment, um, I be doing. You, you started talking about some of the po- your politics. Right. Um, back up today and stuff like that. I want to get it. we we'll get a little bit to your history because we didn't we didn't really go into that yet. Um, what got you sort of politicized in, in the first place? Um, and when, and and I'm also curious about you know can you tie in like when did you even know that you had a talent for rhyming and for and for poetry? And also the group being being uh, started on Malcolm's Born Day. So okay, we, let me go back in. and let me try to summarize all that up. First of all. Uh, for me, everything changed when they killed Dr. King on April 4th, 1968. I would honestly say before that, I was probably scheduled to be your most likely to succeed nice little colored boy because uh, white people like me, I was always, a, I was a successful athlete. I was a likable guy. I had a, 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 a bright personality to the point where I had a lot of friends. A lot of people loved me and gave me praises on a lot of levels. I had a charm life. And my parents were hard, hard workers. Um, my, my, my actual—they were my mother and father. Really, were my mother and father biologically. It was my aunt, and my uncle, and my uncle, who I called Daddy Joe. He was a—he was a slave driver. He was a worker. He believed in—he believed in work. And consequently, from him, I got a work ethic. My mother was love. She was love and hugs and kisses and warmth and all the wonderful things you want from your mother. So I got a nice balanced rearing in terms of my my earlier life, and, and it serves me to this very day. Uh, and I was scheduled to go to college to become a doctor. I wanted to be a doctor. I was a very good science student. I took the biology award in the high school I went to. I went to high school with Sylvester Stallone, Heron High School in Midtown Manhattan, Harren, uh, 59th Street and 10th Avenue, direct, diagonally across the street from where Kareem Abdul-Jabbar went to high school when he was known as Lou Alcindor. So that that was my early beginnings. But the day when they killed Dr. King, I just felt like there was no hope for black folks in America because I could never have marched with Dr. King because I was raised by Daddy Joe, by my uncle, who I said was my father. And he said, uh, if somebody puts their hands on you, don't hit them back. Break their hand. So when they look at their hand in the cast, they'll know why they shouldn't touch you. So I didn't even know how to fight, but my friends would call me panic. Cause I had one fight in the sixth grade and the guy was two or three years older than me. And I beat him so bad until they actually called the police. Damn. Because I was, I was 10 years old. And the truth is that I panicked. I didn't, I didn't have no boxing skills, but I was strong and I was, I guess I was committed and he, and he embarrassed me in front of some people. And I, I, I just 
went crazy. So, but I didn't have a lot of fights. I wasn't, I'm not a fight. I wasn't looking to fight nobody. And I, and I, I didn't like people that bullied people. But the truth is that when they killed Dr. King, it was like, everything just seemed to stop for me. And I'd met David Nelson, who was an older brother. And we worked together at an anti-poverty program in Spanish Harlem. And he had talked about putting together a collective of people that he thought it would be a good idea knowing that the main need that we had in the black community was unity. We needed to have all black folks on the same page so we could get some things done. We had too many splintered groups, too many people with their own ideas. They don't want to agree with this person, that person. There's a lot of petty things that cause us not to work together. So David said, if we see, see three men on stage, three poets, and they come with the same line, maybe it'll give black folks a good example of how much we need to have unity. Because poets usually ride solo. They don't hang out in groups necessarily. So this was a nice idea. I thought it was cool. I wasn't jumping on it like it was the, the thing to do. But I was going to I was gonna get a gun and start shooting white folks at random behind what they did when they killed Dr. Cam. Even though I could not, as I said, I couldn't march. But I just felt that this man, because my family revered him, I know he was on a platform of nonviolence and peace and love and, and singing We Shall Overcome. And I, I mean, my mother even had me put my hand on the TV when the man made his speech in 1963, uh, I Have a Dream, like I was going to get some special healing power from this man's voice. I mean, that, he was revered tremendously by the folks. And I just felt that that was a complete slap in our faces by shooting him down. That was horrifying. So I called David and said, David, if you don't get this group idea together soon, I'm going to be a serial killer. I'm serious because I'm these 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 white folks can't be trusted. They will they will kill us in a minute. I mean, they don't have well, no. How old, how old was you at the time? How old were you? I, I was 18 years old. I was 18, and so uh, I, yeah, no, 19. I'm sorry. And so so um, David said, um, yeah, man, I put. Uh, uh, he called me back. He says, listen, I put your name down. And this guy I met at Columbia University at a poetry reading. His name is Guy Kane, and my name. We're gonna to do poetry at Malcolm X's birthday celebration at Mount Mars Park on May 19th. So when I heard that, I was like, "Ooh, wow! This is amazing!" Because I wanted to see. I was raised like a black power child. Mm. My father hadn't read any dictionary or any books about black power. He didn't hardly read anything. He was a worker, but he believed that he believed in the song that Billie Holiday sang. God bless the child who's got his own. We had we had a freezer with all kinds of food that was stored away. I mean, if the if the supermarket went on strike for a year, we're gonna still eat. I mean, we had a we had if there was a piece of land in the neighborhood, my father would turn it into a little farm. Of course, I was the farmer. I mean, you know, I had to actually grow collard greens and tomatoes and corn and peppers. I mean, I knew how to grow anything. If it was if something needed to be built, I had to learn how to build it. I know how to. I could be a carpenter. I have so many skills that this man made me learn how to do. I could not stand it because I wanted to play. I wanted. I thought I was cute. I wanted to hang out with the girls. I wanted to play handball. I had work to do. So I got a real serious work ethic. And it all led me into understanding what black power really is. Because we talk about black power. But black power means that you're going to be responsible for yourself. And you're going to take power because you are in control. We talk about freedom. Freedom ain't nothing but responsibility. Mm. Freedom doesn't mean you don't do a damn thing. Freedom means you do everything mm. to secure your existence on the planet. So so I understood all that. And then when, the black, when, when they killed Dr. King, that was the end of the civil rights movement. The only movement that could possibly come behind that was the black power movement. And it just was perfect for my, where I had been raised. So when the last votes got started, it was 
I mean, I, I, I was a, I was intimidated by David telling me that we were going to go on stage on May 19th. But at the same time, I was happy, but I was really very intimidated because I had never done anything in Harlem. Harlem is a tough audience, just like performing at Amateur Night in the Apollo. Mm -hmm. And if, they, if the Harlem crowd says, boo, I mean, that might be the end of my life. I mean, they'll just kick me off the planet. So I, I, I said, what can I do to try to appeal to the folks in Harlem? Because Harlem was, I always saw Harlem as the most arrogant black place in America. I mean, black folks walked around Harlem like they owned the world. And so, I, so what I did, I did something I still do today. I came to Harlem. And I walked around and I listened. I kept my mouth shut, my eyes open, my ears open, and I listened and I observed. I just watched and I checked black folks out because if you're going to write about some people you're trying to reach, you better know the people. And the only way you can know them is to be around them. So the, the expression at the time was, what's your thing, brother? Brother said, oh, I'm in the nation of Islam. What's your thing, brother? Oh, I'm a, I'm a black panther. So I started realizing right away that every time somebody asked somebody what their thing was, it was something that related, affiliated with the, with the movement. Mm -hmm. And so um, I wrote a poem, cause, and it, it made sense because, you know, a lot of times what we're doing in the street mirrors what we're also singing. The song was by the Ozzy Brothers at the time. It's your thing. Do what you want to do. So it, the thing was, was a revolutionary pronoun, more or less. So I wrote a poem, what is your thing, brother? Is it a black thing? Will it save black women and children? Will it build a black nation? What is your thing, brother? And uh, And so... I just, but I didn't, I would say publicly it was not one of my, my greatest pieces, but it hit all the points that we were dealing with at that particular time on the head. And then uh, when um, when I came time to perform it, and uh, Kane and I and, and uh, David were in David's apartment, which was around the corner from the park, and we were planning what we were going to do on stage. And I said, well, in order for us to get some kind of, uh, clearance that make it clear to the people that we are a group we got to go up on stage and do something as a group so that they'll know that we're not just three individuals but we're a group so kane couldn't sing uh basically and david couldn't either but i was the only one who could really sing but they could chant you don't have to have a voice to chant uh, so i'd seen a chant on at howard university uh was having problems with their president uh nesbitt his name was and they wanted him gone so they had an effigy of him hanging from a tree and they were all marching around the tree talking about are you ready niggas you got to be ready and i heard this on tv and it blew me away because i'd never heard any kind of expression like that on television so i told david and kane i said let's just go up on stage singing are you ready niggas because david had a poem entitled are you ready black people and kane had a poem entitled niggas are untogether people and so and i had my poem what is your thing brother so we were on stage chanting, are you ready, niggas? By the time we got to the middle of the stage, the entire park had, was chanting, are you ready, niggas? So when we got, then we went on and did our poetry, and we got a very, we got a gig the very next week at New York University from that first gig that we did on May 19th, and it was the beginning. We didn't have a name. We weren't called the last poets. That came from a South African poet named Carol Petsy Kokosili. Mm -hmm. No one could say his first name because it was kind of difficult. So most of the black folks who knew about him here called him Little Willie, Little Willie Cocosili. And so he wrote a poem called Towards the Walk in the Sun. And David Nelson is the person who actually did the research on finding us a name. And he read a poem called uh, Strongmen Keep On Coming by Sterling Brown. He read a poem. Um, he read, Matter of fact, since I'm on the subject of reading, a lot of my pals, a lot of stuff that I've learned, I learned, I learned on the fly by reading, because we have had brothers and sisters, mainly brothers who have written some tremendous works for us to study. I mean, like we're talking about 
Destruction of the Black Civilization by Chancellor Williams, Crisis of the Negro Intellectual by Harold Cruz, Moon Two, Wretched uh, um, of the Earth by Franz Fanon, Black Skin, White Mask. We've had some brothers and sisters have been investigating this whole black thing for so long and have written some very important things for us to read. So I was reading, I read more to be a revolutionary poet than I ever read to be a student in college. So I mean, let, me, let, me, wanted... let me stop you though. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me, I know you're on a roll, but I'm going to stop you. So in terms of um, the, the sensation that the last poets uh, became um, and, and the eventual demise of the black power movement, um, like how, how did that, impacts like you know what, what you guys wanted to do or what you kept on doing it was perfect it was perfect it was a hand in the glove we we were like the voice of the black power movement i mean when we had gigs man the places were packed i mean Amiri baraka was our mentor i mean sony sanchez was like a personal mentor to me because of what i had what she was about and, and the poem i had read of hers when i before i even met her i mean you know we we were loved by the folks and and many of the black organizations tried to get us to join the organization because they knew that would give them extra status but mm -hmm. we decided to remain independent and we had our own place called the east wind no we were we were definitely like the the, uh, the crown prince of poetry for a moment which kind of pissed some people off because we just came on the scene but we came on the scene with a bam we didn't come crawling we came stepping seriously and it was and 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 the thing about it is that i grew as a poet because i i wasn't i mean poetry was something i had only written i had i started out writing poetry i wrote a poem when i was in the fifth grade because my english teacher wanted me to write this poem i guess i had good english skills and they decided that i could write a poem i don't know what that was about but anyway i did i in high school when i was 15 years old I only went out with girls older than me. For some reason, I couldn't like, I didn't like girls that were young. I wanted to always have an older girlfriend. So I had this girlfriend who was older. She was in Fordham University and I was in high school, but I was telling her I was on my way to NYU, which was a lie. I was 15. I was on my way to my junior year in high school. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and so the teacher would give us 10 words every week to put into a composition. A composition could be anything. So mm -hmm. I looked at the words and I told my English teacher, uh, Miss Carpenter, I said, Miss Carpenter, if I put these words, in a poem, can I get extra credit? She says, if you put these 10 words in a cohesive poem, I will give you two extra credits. So I wrote my very first poem and that let me know I had poetic skills because mm. when I handed her the poem, um, the assignment, I, I had finished it, I handed it to her, she read it and she says, this is very good. She says, you are a natural poet. She says, I don't know what you're gonna do with it, but you are a natural mm. poet. She said, and, and she just stood out there because I was planning to be a doctor, being a poet, get out of here. I could never get away with telling my father I'd be a poet. He left me out the world. Are you kidding me? A poet? What the hell is that? And I, I mean, that wasn't any, I had no vision of today. Not, yeah. not at all. Not at that time. Well, I just, but, well, I want to jump I, in again and just say like, I mean, not only were you a poet, but you guys were the poets, right? I mean, in, in the 90s where, when there was sort of this revival of, of poetry, um, in Brooklyn, I'm from Brooklyn, so like in Brooklyn, New York, I assume in other places, everybody was just doing the last poet style. No matter what they were doing, they were rapping the last poet style. They were, you know, elongated, you know, we are here to talk about revolution. I don't care what they were talking about. They were, they were trying to do it in some last poet style. And I think that's, that is what you guys gave us. And we want to, uh, we're going to end this segment right now and come back um, with the outro and just talk a little bit more about some upcoming stuff 
that's honoring okay. y'all on your 50th anniversary. Renegade. Hey. Okay. Renegade okay, culture. Thank you. No doubt. What you gonna do? What we gonna do? Black people are gonna do. What you gonna do? What we gonna do? Black people are gonna do. What you gonna do? What we gonna do? Black people are gonna do. Renegade coaches, back at you. But you live and direct. Mm-hmm. Live and direct. We got Abby Doom in the building, dropping uh, dropping them jewels, you know what I mean? Uh, Let them know what time it is, last poet style. Um, man, y'all, y'all been together over 50 years right now, right? Yeah, we've been together over 50 years, 1968. Uh, that makes this year, makes it 52 years that the last poets have been in creation. And it's the 50th year of our first release, which came out in January of 1970. And, wow. um, and 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 so um, the celebration that's coming up on the 19th is actually the celebration of the 50th year of the release of our first album, which sold a million copies by word of mouth. Wow. When I'm and I'm I'm extremely proud of that because there was no Twitter, there was right. no Facebook. Right. I don't think people even had computers at that moment, right. and so that meant that people heard us and they went and told their friends to buy the album or whatever. And of course I missed the party cause I had decided to go down South and I, I tried to really, I guess I had to get my hands dirty or bloody or something. Cause I robbed a clan, me and my, a good friend of mine, get some, get some boys out of jail and I ended up getting busted and serving some time. <laughs> so when yeah. the album came out, people coming into prison, quoting my stuff and I could even tell them that it was me that they were quoting. Wow. So, um, so that was kind of a weird situation, but, I did, I mean, I, I, you know, I recognized just what we had done and I realized the impact, but it came uh, in a weird kind of situation for me. But now that I've been back, I've get, uh, people remind me all the time. In fact, I just made a deal with some German film company that wanted to use uh, some, some pieces of New York, New York, the Big Apple, which was on their very first album. And um, I'm saying, I guess if you do something that really works, it'll stand the test of time. So the, the, we we we've had, and I have to thank Kane for that because Kane was the aesthetic. Galen Kane, who was one of the original members, he made it clear you couldn't get up on stage and just say a bunch of stuff and call it poetry. You had to have some poetic value. Hmm. Poetry has a value. Everything that comes out of people's mouths that they would like to think is poetry isn't always poetry. Sometimes they're just ranting and raving. Poetry has got to touch you. So some poetry's got to reach your senses, and you got five senses. And if you got people just yelling and screaming and making funny sounds and not t- not reaching your senses, they're not really doing poetry. They're doing something else. But the fact is that we are a naturally poetic people, and poetry goes beyond the words on a page. Poetry is a certain style. Poetry is a certain flavor. I always told people it's like a spice in your cabinet. Everything we do needs to have a little poetry mm. sprinkled on it because we are poetic by nature. Yeah. So don't you tell? Yeah. This Tuesday, this Tuesday, it's gonna be yes. harder than the times. You got some serious hitters on it, man. You talk about Rakim, Karis One, Sonya yes, Sanchez. That, yeah, I mean, I I was so like, enjoyed. We had a we had a thing. We did a thing recently with Ralph McDaniel and and yes. uh, Rakim was there and uh, and 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 Chuck D and 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 uh, there's a lot of you know. And I love these brothers because. They keep they keep the legacy alive because many of them 
are true to the word, and many of them are trying to say something. And um, and and I'm here. Listen, I, I try to reach out to them, and many of them have reached back to me, and I'm I'm very very proud of a relationship I've established with many of our brothers in the world of hip hop. Kalanji, can so, you say where 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 can people tune in and absolutely what time? If you if you to, to the listeners this Tuesday, I think it's yeah. Facebook, I believe, isn't it? Is it on? I mean, yeah, what is, yeah. I don't, I don't. No, no, yeah, we, I'll be doing. Kalanji gonna do it. We, we don't worry we, about we, the social oh, media. We, we, we got oh, you okay. covered. You, you, you about to do a Daruba? We got you. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> okay. Dice.fm. Dice.fm. Go to dice.fm. Type in the last poet's 50 year celebration. It is free okay. if you register in advance. Guests will include Rakim, Karras One. Sonia Sanchez, Black Thought, Jessica Care Moore, Chubb Rock, Dougie Fresh, Black Ice, hosted by Ralph McDaniels. Renegade Culture will be having a watch party. We're going to be watching as well. we like, look, we got to check this out. So make sure that you will be available. And that's at 7 p.m. this Tuesday, honoring El Hajj Malik Shabazz, May 19th, his born date. I'm not sure what year it is, but, um, but definitely. 19, 1925 is Malcolm's born date. Yes, so we talking about he would have been what 95? 95. 95. Jesus Christ. Yeah, 95. Yes, oh, you yes, know what? You yes, kicked yes. off a of renegade culture. How you don't nah, know Malcolm's birthday? Hey man, hey, listen, man. You oh, know, with you, son. I, I, I was so hyped up talking about the last poets and Malcolm. And you know, we ain't used to too many revolutionary cats. You know, it's only me on this show. Happy you're doing. They get lonely over here, brother. What a bad, yeah. what a bad recovery it, that is. It, it, how you doing? We want to thank you so much for coming on Renegade Culture, kicking that history, yes. that knowledge, all that stuff that, that you brought to the show, that you brought to the world, man. It's it's a, a privilege and a pleasure for me to, to to sit down here and chat it up with you. Oh, we got we got well, a shout you. out. Thank you. Yeah, we got a shout you out so your niece. I'm sorry, we yeah, got a shout out your niece, Juanita too. <laughs> yeah, Juanita, yeah, Juanita is special. She is my social media manager, and I'm very proud of her because she is really always doing excellent work on my behalf. Hey, but I want to thank playing. you, brothers, as well, for having this radio uh, show and keeping it as light as you have and keeping it heavy at the same time. I mean, because that, that's an art form on its, of its own, because sometimes we can get so so heavy, we get so laid burdened down with the heavy thoughts and we can't laugh and we can't we can't look we can't have a moment of lightness. And, we, and you'll, you'll seem to have a nice mixture. And I really appreciate that. And I just hope that you'll have a nice uh, uh, long time on the air. You know, hey man, don't, don't you, stress man. us out with that. Don't don't leave, don't wish that bad thing up here with me and him, man. I mean, I <laughs> man, listen, <laughs> this this is serious right here, man. You know, I, I think I think you and uh you and Umar will last longer than us, boy, because woo. Oh, damn. <laughs> oh, nah, nah. <laughs> listen, it, it, any relationship is 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 a work in progress, brother. Any yes, relationship. Sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Right. We appreciate you, Baba. Um, looking forward Thank to Tuesday, so and stay All on right. top. All right. Thank you, coach, y'all. We out. Peace love. Yes, sir. Up is Clutch Jumpchecker. Yo, with Kamal Franklin. And we represent Renegade Coach, 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 Coach.